Messianic Radio for a spiritually hungry world. Speak to the Rock. Get answers for your life. Find out what's missing in your Bible and why. Solace Radio. Changing lives one heart at a time. Let's pray. Avinu Makenu, our Father, our King, we thank you for your Holy Spirit that guides us into all truth. We yield ourselves to the leading of your Spirit. Father, we thank you that your Spirit is always there to strengthen us, to comfort us, that if we lack wisdom, we can ask you and ask in faith, and you will give us understanding. We thank you in Yeshua's name. Amen. All right. If I, if I had to give a, a message, a name, a title to this message today, uh, I would call it the blessing of innocence. It came out of a conversation I was having with uh, Pastor Hilton, and we were talking about the blessing of innocence and why there's a blessing. So if, if you want to give a title, that's the title. And I'm going to start out by telling you a story. How many people like a story? You know, story time. We'll give you a story time. All right, story time. Um, there, was a, there was a regular camp meeting type thing that was held in the northern part of New York State. Uh, and, and that camp meeting was geared around testimony time. They would bring, because they would bring the latest Christian rock music musicians there, and they would have all these guys, that, mostly guys and some women, but mostly guys, uh, most of them from gang, gang background who had become to believers. Some of them were ex-Hell's uh, Angels. So they have all these motorcycle guys with their toughness and the tattoos and looking pretty rough and people who had been drug dealers, people who had run prostitution rings. And they all had come to faith and they would gather to have this testimony time to tell about how they came to the Lord. And so you would hear one testimony after another of these horrific situations, people who had given themselves to unbelievable wickedness, but how God came in through Yeshua, through Jesus, and changed their lives, how they were able to walk away from these things, how they were able to now serve the kingdom of God. And so one by one, you had these big, brutally guys, hells, angels types coming up with some real slick former uh, um, pimps coming up, and they're coming up and they're sharing. And, and a lot of them had not changed the way they look. That's the whole thing. You know, I mean, it's hard to remove if you got tattoos, tattoos all over your face and all over the place. And for like 20 years, you've been dressing a certain way, and he's still riding a Harley motorcycle. They, I've seen guys riding a Harley motorcycle. My son rides a motorcycle, but it doesn't look like a Harley type of guy when he's riding his motorcycle. He's more slick and cool and got his, you know. Uh, but the Harley guys, you know, you see them on the road. They, they still look a little sitting back, you know, in the big hog of their motor, you know, sort of thing. And that's what a lot of these guys look like. And they're sharing their testimonies one after another. And then on the corner of the stage, this lady who was sort of out of place, Little elderly, old lady, very nice looking, no tattoos, none of that, just as, just as sweet as sweet could be. Comes on the stage and they look at her like, and one of them went over and was like, what can we do for you? Because she wasn't the type of person that came to these events. And they're like, she says, well, I want to testify. And the, and the guy, one of the guys who was one of the, the uh, MCs, like, really, Grandma? <laughs> What do you got to testify about? You know, this sweet-looking nice lady. And she said, but I got a testimony. I'm going to give Jesus glory. And they said, so they figured she'd come up and maybe talk about how she cheated at bingo or something, you know. And she came up, and she took the mic, and she began to testify. 
She says, I want to thank my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who delivered me out of sexual immorality, sleeping with many men. He delivered me. He delivered me from polygamy and marriage, not being faithful. He delivered me from drugs and alcohol and, and stealing and murder and bank robbing and, and lying and cheating. And boy, the place got quiet. Like, what, Grandma? And she just went on and on giving this testimony of all the things she was delivered from. And the place got very quiet. They didn't expect that from her. And she stopped. She looked over everybody who was there. She said, I want to thank my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ for delivering me because I accepted him when I was just a little child. And I've been walking with him ever since. And he delivered me from all those things. I never walked in any of those things because he led me on the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And I never experienced any of those things. And the place exploded. It was the best testimony of the day. And the point of this is that this meeting, it seemed like the worse you have done, the better you were giving God glory. And yet this lady gets up and she says, I've done none of those things because I gave my life to the Lord when I was just little. And he's kept me from all of them. And I've lived a life of righteousness and holiness and never experienced any of those things. She was basically saying, you, can, you don't have to live a life of regrets. You can live a life of no regrets, and you can have an innocence when it comes to sin. There's a blessing in being innocent and never experiencing evil. Now, what do I mean by innocence? Well, you know, sometimes we use the word innocence in a negative way. We talk about, well, that person's just kind of innocent with life, they had, and we mean it by a state of ignorance. We, we want to say people have a lack of worldly experience or sophistication, they're innocent, oh, they, they, they're going to eat them alive because they're innocent. They need, to, they need to get out in the world and experience the world some and do a few things so that they're not so innocent about things. Well, that's not what I'm talking about when I say innocent. Let me give you another definition of innocence. In the context in which I'm speaking of being innocent, a freedom from guilt or sin through being unacquainted with evil. Let me say it again. A freedom from guilt or sin through being unacquainted with evil. Maybe a better word is a blamelessness, a purity, a kadosh, a holiness, being set apart for the things of God and living for him in such a way that you have no experiential knowledge of evil and wickedness. Doesn't mean you don't know there's evil and wickedness. Doesn't mean that you haven't read about evil and weaknesses and, 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 and wickedness, but you've never walked in it. You never experienced it. That's what that little old lady was seeking to say at that conference. Now, I've been a believer for quite a while, and I can tell you, testimony time, some people like it because they can kind of experience wickedness through the testimony of other people. And a lot of that testimony time you spend, if you give a testimony for 10 minutes, you spend eight or nine of those minutes talking about all this wickedness you've walked in, sometimes in very graphic ways. And then the last minute, Jesus rescued you. Yeshua came in and changed you. Well, some people believe that you cannot accept or live for Yeshua 
until you are old. They believe that children cannot understand the gospel until they're old. So they leave their children to experience things of worldliness in the hope that one day when they're old, they'll find the Lord and they're able to repent of those things and come to faith. I've met and debated people, even who've been a part of Ahavat Yeshua through the years. We have people who that we invite young people to home group, and they have people who had an attitude to say, no, 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 home groups are for the adults. A kamara for the adults, not for the children. And I said, who said that? The leaders of this community never established that. We've always viewed home groups as a family time. And if the baby makes a lot of noise, just talk louder. It's a family time because God sanctions the family. He makes father and mother and children, and he gives the authority of the parents to raise up the children the way they should go. And so why would we seek to pull them apart all the time? So our home groups, our kavarots, our time to bring the family in. Let's all come together. Well, we're going to talk about deep things that the children can't understand. Who says they can't understand it? Who said? I think that's a false thinking that we've adopted something that says that the Holy Spirit is only for grown-ups, that the Holy Spirit is not for children. Turn to children. We're talking grown-up things now. We're talking about the kingdom of God. That doesn't concern you until you're old, until you're grown up, until you've completed college. Then you can get serious about God. In the meantime, go play. In the meantime, go experience things. I have found that people who take this philosophy have no vision for the years of raising their children up, except to make them happy enough so they're not a pain in your side, making sure they can get various experiences and various events and uh, a wonderful, beautiful childhood, make sure they have lots of parties, lots of this, that, and the other, because I just want them to have a happy childhood. And so with that comes a compromise of God's righteousness. It gets swept aside for the adults, not for children. I want to say I don't agree with that at all. In Mark 10, 13 to 16, it says, Then they brought little children to Yeshua, that he might touch them. But Yeshua's disciples, his disciples, rebuked those who brought them. Don't bring the children over here to be touched by the Lord of the universe. This, this is for adult. This is adult time right now. Tell the children to go sit in the corner and be quiet. They don't get any instruction. They don't get any ministry. They, 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 Yeshua's too busy to deal with them. Don't you see he's casting out demons, healing the sick, and, 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 and blessing people? Could you tell your kids to stay over there? These are Yeshua's disciples. These weren't the Pharisees or the Sadducees. These were Yeshua's disciples that he handpicked are saying, rebuking, not just simply suggesting, but rebuking people. How dare you bring your children into this ministry time? How dare you? Scriptures go on, it says, but when Yeshua saw it, he was greatly, not a little bit, but greatly displeased and said to them, said to his disciples, let the little children come to me and do not forbid them, for such is the kingdom of God. But surely I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. And he took them, the children, in his arms. They were little children. Laid his hands on them and he blessed them. 
Yeshua didn't carry that attitude that the children couldn't be involved in the assembly gathering, in the ministry time. He didn't have a view, you sit them over in the corner and tell them for the next two hours, just be quiet, say nothing, you can't be involved. This is adult business right now. I think of another situation. There was a lady named Hannah in Scripture, 1 Samuel 15, uh, verse 15 all the way to 1 Samuel 3rd chapter. He, she wanted to have a child. She couldn't have a child. She'd been trying for many, many years, which was really hard on her. It was a lot of shame that you carried in those days, especially that if you were married and you could not bring forth a child, bring forth an heir, the blessing of the Lord, that that was something very hard to handle. And she would go to the temple outside the, outside the doors and she would cry unto the Lord, Oh God, have mercy on me. And Eli, who was the high priest that year, saw her out there welling. She was having a type of prayer that she really couldn't even get words together. Just sort of, just crying and weeping and saying things. And he just looked at her and he says, how dare you women come to the temple drunk? And she says, not so. I haven't had anything to drink. My heart is heavy and I'm crying out to God. And then he quickly said to her, you have what you say. And sure enough, she went back home and united with her husband, and she became pregnant. And she had a child who she called Samuel. Hannah had this child. And it says in 1 Samuel 1.27, For this child, for this child I prayed, and Yah has granted me my petition when I asked of him. Therefore I also have lent him to Yah. As long as he lives, he shall be lent. To Yah. So she and her husband worshiped Yah there. And the little baby grew up, and when he became, he was winged, but he didn't need his mother's milk anymore, and he could eat solid food. That's how young he was. I don't know how long they kept babies on children on milk in those days, but I'm sure it wasn't, you know, the, the teenage years. And they brought him back to the temple, this child. And so they went to the house, and, and then they went back to their own home, but they left the child with Eli, and it says of the child, the child was left so that he could minister to Yah before Eli, the priest. A child entering into the priesthood service. A child. First Samuel 2.18, and it says, Samuel, minister before the Lord, even as a child wearing a linen ephod. They put him in the priestly garments. Can you imagine? You walk to the priesthood, and here's this little child walking around, little priestly garments, serving in, serving in the temple. And we know about Eli's son. They were no good. They were slipping women into the sanctuary to have sexual relationships with them. You know, would you like to see the inside of the tabernacle? I can take you into the holy place. Come on, girl. Go with me to the holy place. And snuck them in and did unmentionable things. In the holy place. Another prophet came and spoke to Eli. Because Eli knew this was going on, but he did nothing about it. And he received the rebuke and what would happen to him and to Israel and everything if he did not repent of this. Meanwhile, here's Samuel. 1 Samuel 2.26, and it says that the child grew in stature and in favor both with the Lord, with Yah, and with men. Now he's growing up. He's becoming a young man. He's growing up. Think about this. He is serving the Lord. He's not out there playing Nintendo. He's not out there 
seeking some experience of the world, but he is committed to serving the Lord as a child, and he grows up in that. He grows up serving the Lord, not running after the worldly things like Eli's sons were doing, even though they were foregrown. And it's there that we read in the third chapter that the Lord visits him as a young, young, young man, starts to speak to him and raises him up as a prophet to speak the things of the kingdom. This idea that you have to be grown up to serve the Lord, that the gospel is not for little children, but for people who've already gone out in the world and done a lot of worldly things, and then you can come to Jesus. What a falsehood teaching to have. It's interesting, but even in Luke 2.52 concerning Yeshua, who we know as a young person showed up at the temple and his parents said they had traveled up in a large group for, for celebrating the feast and they were traveling back and you got cousins and family and everybody and you figured, you know, everybody's traveling together that he would be with them. And then they looked around, they say, is Yeshua with you? No, no, I think he's with cousin so-and-so. Go to cousin so-and-so, is Yeshua here? No, he's not here. I thought he was with you guys. And they were all asking all around, and Yeshua's not there. Now they're concerned. So they go back to Jerusalem, and they find him. And he's sitting down with a bunch of scribes around him, asking him questions, and he's ministering to them. And they are blown away. How can this little 12-year-old have all this knowledge and understanding? As a child, and the scripture says he grew. Yeshua grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God. And men. Well, how about John the baptizer? When Mary shows up with Yeshua inside of her, and, and Elizabeth is sitting there with John inside of her, and as soon as they come in, John in the womb leaps with joy because they were told in Scripture concerning John, who leaped for joy, that from the womb he was called as a Nazarite. It says in Luke 1 15, for he will be great. In the sight of the Lord, and he will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while he's still in his mother's womb. Think about that. In the womb. And filled with the Holy Spirit. Some people have been out of the womb for a long time, they're still not filled with the Holy Spirit. And yet here's a baby is filled with the Holy Spirit who hasn't had opportunity to go out and mess around in worldly things. But he was called from the womb to holiness and righteousness. In Mark 9, 42, Yeshua says this, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he was thrown into the sea. I don't know about you, but having a millstone hung around my neck and thrown to the sea where I sink to the bottom and drown, I don't see any good in that at all, Ralph. And yet Yeshua said it would be better to have that to happen to you than to cause a little one, a child, the children that were coming to Yeshua by your actions, by what you're doing to cause them to sin. That's weighty, very weighty. Tell you another story. It's from a friend of mine in college who just recently I got a letter from her and her husband of what they've been doing in their ministry. They have a ministry uh, that, that reaches out to Muslims to share Yeshua Many, 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 many years ago, they were living in Egypt, and a husband was arrested for sharing Yeshua, and he was in prison for a year, and we were praying for him to get out and just do some miraculous thing. They didn't kill him, but he was released, and now they live in England, and they're involved in ministry. They've been involved in ministry for some time. I met this girl while I was in college, 
at George Washington University, I became a believer. And just like the testimonies of the the bank bikers, I, I can't claim a holy, righteous upbringing for me. The choices I made as a child, I had a testimony. I could give you a testimony. Talk about all the tests I've been through and failed and how Jesus delivered me. And so this girl comes to the campus, and she's new to the campus, and she's running around, and all her life she's been in Christian settings. So she doesn't know how to be worldly. She's walking around on a campus like George Washington University where I went to school, and she's going around greeting everybody with, no, not with, what's up, how you doing, but she greeted everybody with, praise the Lord, praise the Lord at a secular university. And, of course, most of the people look at her like, this girl's kind of nutty. And this is how she and I met. I had a security job to help pay for my college, and I was working in one of the dorms, and she lived in the dorm, and she walked in, and she went, first time we met, she went, praise the Lord. And I said, praise him. And she said, oh, there are believers on this campus. I've been doing this for weeks, and nobody responded back with praise. And we became good friends, and I brought her to the fellowship, and she, it wasn't long before she was heading up certain things in the fellowship just a wonderful, wonderful believer of the Lord. And as I do with many people, I still look for opportunities. I don't always get the opportunity. I always like to hear people's story. Today might be what brought you to Ahava Yeshua, but overall, I like to know the story. How did you come to know Yeshua? How did you become a follower of Yeshua? I love to hear people's story. But back then, I had the same attitude. But I was expecting a story, you know, that she would say something like, well, you know, I was running around, slipping out of the house, sleeping around, trying drugs. I was expecting to hear that testimony. And then one day Jesus came to me and saved me, and now I'm living holy. That's what I wanted to hear. But instead, she didn't give me that testimony. She just stared at me. Like, I'm looking at you right now, Stephanie. I'm looking at you, how she looked at me like. And I asked her again, I'd like to hear your testimony. She said, Ralph, I heard you. Because I want to hear how you came to Jesus, how you came to know Jesus. She said, well, let me ask you a question first. I said, okay. I thought maybe she wanted to hear my testimony. She didn't. Her question was, Ralph, when did you know that your mother was your mother? I had to think real deep about that. When did I know my mother was my mother? And out of my own mouth, I said, I've always known my mother to be my mother. I can't remember a time that I didn't know she was my mother. She said, that's my relationship with Jesus. I've always known him to be the Lord of my life. And I said, how can this be? You got to have a testimony. You got to be all in sin. And then she began to share about her family. Her parents were missionaries on both sides. Her grandparents were missionaries on both sides. Her great-great-grandparents were missionaries on both sides. They had lived all over the world serving the Lord, establishing communities, and she was raised in that. And she says, Ralph, I just have to be as honest as I know how. There was never a time that I can say, think back to well, I didn't believe in Jesus when I was six. She said, just as I knew my mom was my mom, I was raised believing in Jesus as Lord and as king. So I don't know how to answer your question. And let me tell you, she's a powerhouse of a believer to this day. I was happy to get the letter from her just recently. Like, oh, she's still doing some great things. The husband, he's a really good guy. He's a big guy, really big guy. Loves the Lord deeply. Now, I know some people have a hard time with this. Because you have adopted the philosophy that children can't know the things of God. And at some point in their life after they've gone out and tried out sin and tried in rebellion and tried all the things of the world, then you somebody comes to them and say, repent, 
The kingdom of God is at hand. You need to accept Jesus. And you have no faith and belief that a child can be filled with the Holy Spirit from the womb. So you raise your children for low expectation. Oh, yeah, you make sure they get the Bible stories. They got to know about little David taking down the Goliath. Oh, they're going to get the stories. But you never give the stories in a way that they could be a David throwing the rock and bringing down the giant. It's always a story about what others have done. And when they're old enough and after they've experienced the world, now they can come and become a David. And so we allow our children in believing circles to go out and experience worldliness, hoping that someday that Pastor Ralph will preach a message when they're coming back from college that will make them go up with an altar call and give their lives to Jesus. To Yeshua, we have no expectation of a little child serving in the temple at the right hand of Eli serving the Lord. Woe unto us that we don't have this faith expectation for our young people. This is why later on they have to require lots of counseling and ministry. The men in here who did not live a pure life but were sexually involved before you were married and maybe had many different partners, even though God has forgiven you, and you know you're forgiven, and you've changed, you've turned the corner, you're married now, you're committed, yet I know many men who struggle with the memories of the other women they have been with for all those years because there's a joining together even if you're not married. I've counseled another men who said, how do you deal with that? How do you put down? That's where you got to cast down the imaginations. But if you don't have any imaginations to cast down, you don't need to spend a lot of energy doing that. So let's have an expectation of raising up. Young people that may hear this and some that are here, if your parents are seeking to train you up in the way of the Lord, not because they believe that you can become a believer, you're going to become a believer much later in life after you've sown your wild oats, they have their rules and regulations to protect you, keep you safe, because they know that to shoot a gun, the bullet's out of the chamber, and you can't call it back. Oh, yes, you can be patched up. The bullet can be removed from you, and you can be healed, and you can learn to live life, but you have this memory of being shot, when from God's perspective, he didn't want you to have that. He didn't want you to have this memory that, oh, I did this, that, and that. Oh, yes, He wants to be glorified that he's redeemed you, that he loves you, that he forgives you. And I'm not saying because you have gone down a path of wickedness and that you came to the Lord, now you know the Lord, that that you are bad goods. God is able to make you holy. But you know the one thing he doesn't do? He does not remove. In other words, you decide to wrestle with God, and now for the rest of your life, you're walking with a limp and not able to run. Oh, yes. Some of us are walking with limps. God's still using us. God still has a call in our lives. He's forgiven you. He loves you. But you limping. When he never meant for you to have to limp. This is the blessing that Hilton and I were talking about, the blessing of innocence. We need to raise and train up our young people in a way that they choose life early. Deuteronomy 30, 19, God gathers the whole assembly of Israel, and that included the children. I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you (coughs) that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both of you 
that both you and your descendants may live. Here's how some people see this. God called them forth. The children were over plain. Told, shh, shh, be quiet. The Lord's about to speak. You need to go over there. Just here, here's some toys. Here's a coloring book. Now, you adults, come on up. Teenagers, you need to go over here. So the adults can hear this message, choose life. No, that's not how it happened. Families came up with their babies, with their whole families. They stood there. My whole family's here today standing before the Lord, and they all are hearing down to the little baby, are hearing the Lord speak and saying, choose life, choose life. You do not have to go soil yourself with the sinfulness of this world before you come to know the Lord. You can know him now, you can walk with him now, and you have no regrets. You have a certain sense of innocence and purity that you can't have, even with redemption. So it's, what about you, Pastor? Look at what God's done in your life. Oh, if he let me. Oh, if he arranged it, that he will reverse time and let me go back to when I was a child and decided to be rebellious. Oh, if he would let me, I would not go those routes. I could have an innocence before you that I do not have. Oh, I'm not saying I'm not forgiven. I'm not saying I'm not holy. God has made me holy. God has forgiven me. I am very much aware of that, walking it every day. But I also know that as a believer, how many times I had to cast down imaginations that I would not have had to cast down if I had not decided to go out and play inside the world. But I chose to play in the world. So now as a believer, the enemy knows that ways he can try to come at me. Now, thank God the Lord matured me up enough to know how to use the weapons of warfare to say, nah, you ain't getting any play here. But I wish I could be that brother or sister that he never gives them any play because he has nothing on them, nothing at all. And that's what we've been trying, especially with our, our, our teen young adults. They, they probably think we're trying to tie their hands. They probably think we're trying to keep them from experiencing and, and, and having fun and this, that, and the other. But really, we're wanting you to have an experience that we ourselves don't have of being pure and holy before God in a way of innocence that will allow you as you get older to respond to God in a more intimate way that the rest of us have to wrestle with to get there. Matthew 16, 26. But what does it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? There's a scripture that says that things that seem right to a man, but the end is destruction. We live in a world where evil is being exalted. Now, I know some of you are like, oh, here we go again. No, it's true, especially now. Not that it hasn't happened before. I'm sure during the time of Rome, it was exalted as well. But there was a time when the church got victory and, and the word of God was reigning and supreme and moving, and now we're coming to a place where the word of God is being pushed to the side, and the culture of the world is not about God anymore. In fact, it can be very anti-God. And yet our young people are growing up in that. And because of media, especially the social network, they get exposed to things that shape their mind. They don't think so, but it does. And it, it means it's the whole advertisement on steroids. You do understand that when a commercial comes on and you're watching a movie on TV and a commercial comes on, it's advertisement. They're trying to sell you something. They're trying to get you to link into it, even if at the end they speak really fast and tell you about how that medicine can cause all this death in you. They speak that part real fast. First part is like, oh, Stephanie, this medicine will make you fly like Superman. This medicine will make you feel wonderful. You need to buy this. And you're like, yeah, maybe I do need to buy that. And then at the end, 
medicine known to cause cancer, disease, delusion, this, that, and the other. It's real fast. Real quick. Verse over. You go, did they just say this medicine will cause death? Did they just say that? And they want me to buy it? Really? I love my grandmother. When she was in her 80s, she carried this big fat book. And she would go to the doctors. And they say, well, we're going to prescribe this, that, and the other. She'd go, hold on. Hold it. It says this, that, and the other. Do you have anything else? Well, ma'am, we can't. No, I am not going to take this. Give me something else. I, I, I know I need that to get the inflammation down, but I'm not taking that because that has too many side effects. Nope, not going to do it. But see, we don't do that all the time. We want to experience the world. We want to be the in crowd. And with the pressure of media, social media special, especially, there is a push greater than ever. It's not, a, it's not new except for the, the, how big it is. There was peer pressure when I was in school. Why did I do some of the things I did? Peer pressure. I wanted to be in. I wanted to be no Ralph is cool. I was so cool, I dropped my given name and picked a different name that my martial arts instructor gave me. And didn't go by Ralph until I became a believer. I went back to the name my parents gave me. But when I was little, I took on this other name, this other persona that adopted Eastern religions and belief system. And that became who I was. And I had peer pressure. I didn't think I had peer pressure, but it was there. Well, it's peer pressure today, <laughs> but it's more sophisticated. And Facebook and TikTok and all the other stuff, Twitter and all that sort of stuff. You say, well, I use it for good. Yes, you can use it for good. There's a way to do that. But the vast majority are not doing that. Too many of our young people are being sucked in to the deception, to the, to the lies, to the pressure. And parents are struggling. First John 2.16, for all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. All that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from Abba, but it's of the world system. The world system works and operates in the area of lust and pride and seeks to motivate you in that way. Oh, you're missing out. The rest of the world is doing this and you are not being allowed to do this. Whoa, you're missing out. And that lust starts to rise up. Yeah, I'm missing out. Sandra and I made decisions to not allow our children to be exposed to certain things. Now, if you do that, does that mean when they're older that they may give in when you don't have that control? They might. But while they're under my watch, like somebody asked me, why do you homeschool your kids? Why are you homeschooling? And I, I, I don't know. I could have gotten arrested for this answer. I don't know. My answer used to be to people, because I want to be the first to brainwash my kids. I don't want the government system to brainwash my kids. I don't even want the private school down the street to, to brainwash my kids. I want the opportunity to brainwash my kids. It could have gotten me in jail. But the reality is, if you're going to spend eight hours a day in a certain environment, believe me, you're being instructed. Not only in just what's on the paper, but the attitude of the classroom. And where, when I was growing up, the secular system was rooted in Scripture, believe it or not. I remember, as a child, they would pray. Secular school, can you believe that? Secular school. Let's pray and ask God's favor on the class and study today. Christian schools do that, but secular schools? As I shared last week, I remember growing up, I first learned about Thanksgiving and thanking God at school. Walked in and they taught it to us year after year. By the time I got to high school, it wasn't being taught anymore. It was banned 
from the secular system. And now it's even worse. James 1.13 says, Let no one say when he's tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is foregrown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. When it comes from God, there's no underlining other thing trying to lead you astray. When it comes from God, it's about the kingdom of God, the righteousness of God. And we know the scripture says that we're to seek the kingdom first and its righteousness. Not when you're 30 years old do you start doing that, but you can start that when you're little. Parents, help your kids to know how to seek the kingdom of God. Focus them on the word of God. Help them to make choices for the kingdom. Learn to reason with them in such a way, because they may say, well, why do I need to do this? They may say, I want to do this. And say, well, yeah, you may want to do that, but the scripture says there's a way that seems right to a man that leads to destruction. Does this way lead to destruction? Does this way glorify the kingdom of God? Does it move you more into a place of knowing God and living for God? Or are you seeking to be a hedon, a hedonist? Are you seeking to just experience pleasure for the sake of pleasure? Hedonism is all about that. It's a pursuit of pleasure, no matter what the consequences might be. Now, over time, they realized that when they saw Bill and Tim and Johnny and, and Susan all die because they all tried to try a certain poison, to see what would happen, to experience it, and they die, they go, hmm. Some of them were smart enough to go, let's take that one off the list. Some of them tried it anyway because of the pursuit of pleasure, pursuit of knowing sin. Isn't that what happened in the Garden of Eden from the beginning? Guys, I've given you all these trees to eat from. Only one tree you're not to eat from. Only one. The tree of knowledge of good and evil. Leave that one alone. And out of all the various trees, all the different fruits they could eat of, they get tempted to try that tree. And we are where we are today because of that. However, though we might be in a hole that was dug by our great ancestors, we don't have to dig it even deeper. We're already in a hole needing a Savior to save us, but let's not make him use a 50-foot ladder when all he needs is a 3-foot ladder. To go out and experience what is wrong, to choose against the kingdom of God and God's word is a really stupid thing to do. Got to put it plain. It's stupid. God sets before you, choose life. No, 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 I'm going to try a little bit of this over here. Because if I don't try this over here, I'm missing out on something. So I want to go try that. My friend, she slept with a guy. I want to see what that is like too. My friend, he has several girls that he's been with. My friend... It's trying some drugs. I want to see what that feels like so I can preach more effectively that it's wrong to try it. I want to experience the consequences of it myself so that I can tell people, you don't want to go down there because it'll mess you up. How about saying, you don't want to go down, it'll mess you up, and no, I've never tried it, and I won't, but the records are out there. You can read all about it. I was in a, a discussion of believers in the workplace. It was years ago when the homosexual issue first came big, and there was a lot of debate going on. And I'm listening to these fellow confessors of Yeshua, of Jesus, 
talk about whether it's wrong or right. Some are saying, well, the, the law is moving on. And what right do we have to tell people what they feel? Maybe they were born that way. And, and, and they have a right to express themselves. And, and I'm just listening to these believers, not unbelievers. These are all Jesus is Lord believers. And I'm just listening to this debate. And after about 15, 20 minutes of listening, I kind of say, I got something to say. And they say, what do you have to say? I said, what about God? They went, huh? I said, what does God have to say about this? I know what the United States is saying. You told me what your pastor is saying. You tell me what you believe. But what I don't hear is anybody saying, what does God say? And you all confess Jesus as Lord of your life. So as Jesus as Lord of your life, what does God say about homosexuality? He says it's an abomination. Didn't say you had to hate. You can love and tell people they need to come to God. God's provided a way for them to be forgiven and restored. But everything I was hearing from those guys had nothing to do with God's redemption. It was all about, well, you know, they're people too. We need to just understand that's the desires they have, and we got to accommodate that. I will not accommodate that. I'll simply speak the truth. It is an abomination. And then I'll offer that there is a way to be forgiven, and not only forgiven, but restored. I know the world is saying for those who believe that, that, homos- that you can come out of homosexuality, they say, oh, that's not possible. Our God is a redeeming God who says he can change your very nature. He can take you out of the, the stronghold of the evil one, his kingdom, and bring you into his kingdom. He says he'll give you, he'll take out the heart of stone and he'll put in a heart of flesh. If you're struggling with something, it is Yeshua that you need to go to to be put in right order. You say, Pastor Rob, you don't understand, I'm struggling. No, I know about struggle. Believe me, but I know who's greater than the struggle. And he will change you from the inside of out if you will exercise faith. We're told to walk in the spirit. I won't give the whole list, but you look at Galatians 5, 19 to 21. It gives a list of what's called the works of the flesh. And it warns about those things. That those who do these things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But it says you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh if you walk in the spirit. Galatians 5, 16. How do you walk in the spirit? Colossians 3, 2. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Set your eyes on the promises of God and what he's able to do, what he's working to do in your life. You can't go live in a little cave and be separate from what's going on around us. I'm going to tell you, evil is going to increase in the world, and it's going to increase in such a way that evil will become the norm. And those of us who are righteous will be seen as an enemy, that we need to be, have some sort of special treatment, that we're bigots, that we're judgmental, that we're harsh, that we don't want anybody to have any fun. But Yeshua says, I've come to give you life and to give it to you more abundantly. That's what he said. Believe. I choose to believe God. I choose life. Well, you're going to miss out on some stuff. How I wish I could have missed out on a lot of stuff I've already tried. Oh, how I wish I could have missed out. All the years I wasted at the club. All the years I wasted trying this, trying that. Thinking I was in right. And all it was doing was slowly destroying me. Thank God there were people praying for me. Thank God that he gave me a heart to respond to the call and repent and come into the kingdom. Live a life after you set your mind on things above. Galatians 5, 22 to 28 talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Live a life practicing the fruit of the Spirit. I've shared a, one more story. I shared a story with you many years ago. Many of you probably already know it about the young believer or who confessed that he was a believer. He used to come to me all the time and say, Said to me, is this a sin? Is this a sin? Is this a sin? Is this a sin? And one of my weaknesses is I like to, I'll answer your question. 
I'll just give you the, well, the Bible says this, that, and the other. I've been trying to learn more from Marcellus, who I've watched over and over again, hear what God is saying in the moment, and won't answer the question, but go right to the heart of the matter. I love that about you, brother. And at that time, I was young, and I just, I was the Bible answer man. That was who I was. I'm the Bible answer man. Ask me a question. I'll tell you what the Bible says about it. And I did this week after week after week with this guy. And he came to me again. He says, I have a question. Is this a sin? And I was getting ready to answer his question. And the Spirit of the Lord rose up inside me and said, ask him, is it a righteousness? And I was obedient. And I let come out of my mouth, is it a righteousness? And he went, huh? I said, is the thing you want to do, is it a righteousness? And he, his excitement dropped. He head looked down. He says, no. And then God gave me other words to speak to him. Stop spending your life trying to figure out what is a sin and what's not a sin. Stop finding out where to draw the line of how much of the world you can experience and still be right with God. Stop playing games. The Bible says set your mind on things above, not things below. You're to look to the kingdom and its righteousness first. You're to pursue it with all of your heart, all of your being. Not when you're 33. You don't have to wait to then. You can do it at 10. You can do it at 15. You can do it at 6 years old. You can make a choice that I want to be righteous before the Lord. I accept Yeshua as my Lord, as the one that saves me. You don't have to wait until you can sow your wild oats and then come to the Lord. Why not sow seeds of righteousness instead for your entire life and upbringing? I can tell you so many of us, if God would do that, but he doesn't do it, but let us go back and say, you know what? I pull up all those seeds that I was sowing, and now I want to see, sow seeds of righteousness. Seeds of righteousness. I want to bless people. I want to encourage people. I want there to be no regrets in my life. Well, some of us have to go to God and say, God, I got regrets, but thank you for the blood of Yeshua and the forgiveness you offer me. What can I do in the meantime? Encourage the next generation. Don't go there. Don't go there. Seek the kingdom first and its righteousness. Because when you come into maturity and you have that foundation, you will have no regrets. And the world will give you philosophical things. You deal with the issue about maintaining your purity, both men and women, before getting married, that you have no sexual experience until you've said, I do. People will say, well, you know, you wouldn't buy a pair of shoes without trying them on first. The world has wisdom, how they say things. My response to that is, you wouldn't buy ice cream from me if I ran an ice cream store after I spat on it and lick it. Here you go. No, thank you. Uh, could you give me something else? Okay. Here you go. No, 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 no. I don't want one that's spat on and licked on. And as much as people might say they don't, and they wouldn't judge in that way, people do. Even people have been forgiven come in a relationship, and sometimes they can, I know, I had to counsel people. This is how I know some of this stuff. I have to counsel a couple that's struggling because the husband or the wife brings up memory of the people they've been with before, and it's having impact on the marriage. God never wanted you to have to deal with that. He wanted you from the womb to be filled with his spirit, to be called when you're young, to serve God so that you would have no regrets. One last thing. You've heard this before probably from many different pastors. Life is not a rehearsal. It's not a rehearsal. You get one shot at this thing, and every choice you make impacts you, whether for good or for bad. Every choice impacts you. Can God redeem the bad choices? Of course. Yeshua is the great redeemer. 
but having that blessing that Pastor Hilton and I was talking about of innocence can only come by you walking and making a choice for him. So I challenge you, whether young or old, but especially if you're young, make a choice from this day on. You're sure I'm after your kingdom. I'll turn off the TikTok. I'll turn off the other philosophies in my life. I'll turn them all off. I'm setting my eyes on your kingdom, and I want your kingdom. And I want to walk upright from this point on so that I have no regrets. And let me tell you, it's hard. Because some of the things, how can I put this? The scripture says that Satan comes as an angel of light. And his workers come that way. They deceive you. They trick you. Satan doesn't knock on your door and say, hi, I'm Satan. I'm here to deceive you. That would be so much easier, right? No, he, he comes in appearing that what he's offering you is the right thing. This is the way to go. This is what you need to do. And he takes time to craft it in such a way that from a human perspective and wisdom, it sounds good. I mean, everybody else is doing it anyway. There's not much harm in that. Lots of people do it. I've counseled people, young people, who've had the idea that, well, Pastor Rav, you know, y'all say it's wrong to, to be involved in a relationship outside of marriage, but I'm involved and I'm loving it. Well, pleasure does seem pleasurable at the moment until sin comes forth and it brings forth what it really wants to do to you because that's the way Satan operates, presents himself as an angel of light. But in the end, Scripture says he comes to kill, to steal, and destroy. Yeshua came to give you life and to give it to you more abundantly. And so sometimes you got to think outside of the box and ask yourself when you're being drawn and pulled to go do a certain thing, that it's okay in the world, but believers are saying, no, no, you shouldn't go there. And then sadly, some believers say, yes, yes, you should go there. I've had believers say, well, you know, I just want my children to experience life. I want them to have that experiential knowledge of things. It's called sowing your wild oats, Ben. You know how many believers tell, especially young men, you know, you reach that age, you need to go out and sow your wild oats before you settle down. You know how many men are told that? Going out and experience life and Try it out, and then when you got it all out of your system, find a nice girl who's kept herself pure and marry her. Well, what about all the other ones I was with? Why not one of them? <laughs> that was your practice, man. You're just practicing. I had a guy, well, I, I just have to my own confession before I was a believer. Some friends of mine said, hey, man, if you really want to find a nice girl, go to church. I was running around to all the parties and doing all this sort of stuff. I met this girl, and she said, the only way you can talk to me is you go to church. I was an atheist. I didn't believe in God. But I got on my best suit and I went to church just so I could be with her. And not to boast, I was a good-looking fella. I knew how to dress back then. I knew how to be suave. So when I walked up in there, I was looking good. And it was affecting her. She saw me coming. Ooh. Thank God there was a deacon in that church. He's watching the whole thing. And after church service is over, he came up and said, young man, come here. Took me in the back. I see what you're trying to do, and I rebuke it right now. It's not going to happen in this church. I, whoa. He said, I know who your father is. <laughs> he knew my parents were well My parents were well known. And I knew, and he just, he scared me. I never went back to that church again. Never went back. I was, I was like, oh, man. They done ratted me out. He done called my number, man. Didn't want to go there. And sometimes the young ladies get mad because I focus on protecting them. But we, the society hasn't changed so much. It's changing a little. 
That most of the time the guy's not a pursuer. Sometimes it turns around the other way. But most of the time the guy pursues the girl. It's the guy who will show up at church and act religious and hope that he can win the girl. Parents, especially you fathers, when you see that, don't be, don't be afraid to make your daughter upset with you. Call it out. Speak to them. Young man, come here. I need to talk with you. I see what you're trying to do, but you ain't doing it with my daughter. Oh, you know, you, hey, you look, no. And if you don't have a father, find an older brother in the Lord in here. And if you can't find an older brother in the Lord, grab one of the elders and say, I brought this guy. He came here because he's interested in me. Could you talk to him? They may never come back again, okay? <laughs> be like, I ain't going back there because they got watchdogs in that community. Where are all my chicken people? All the people raising chickens. Got a lot of you. Isn't it nice to have something or somebody to watch over the chickens? Because if you're standing out there with the chickens and the fox comes and he sees you, he's like, I'm going to get me some chicken today. I'm, oh, Mr. Nelson's out there with the shotgun. I think I won't get any chickens today. I think I'll go the other way. It's good to have a watch person. We need to watch each other. For those of you who are close to other families, maybe you see some things that are they're doing wrong. They're believing that lie that the children have to go experience all these things before they serve the Lord. Pray about how you can have an entrance way to encourage them like, no, train your child up in the way they should go. And when they are mature, they will not depart from it. I love it. Notice what it says, what it doesn't say. Train up a child in, in the way they should go. And when they're old, they will return back to serving God. Mm, no. That's not what it says. It says they shall not depart. So the whole idea when they're under your training, you're, keeping, you're, you're the one that's being the Holy Spirit. You're, but you're trying to bring them to the place of maturity where they will embrace the Holy Spirit for themselves. And when they get there, they will not depart from you being the schoolmaster to saying, this is the way you're to live. They will not depart when they, if they embrace it. Now, if they reject you and your training, they'll wrestle with the Holy Spirit. The prodigal son is a perfect example in Scripture. But he remembered to go back to his father's house. So anyway, that's what's on my heart. I would love to see more young people, because we old people, it's, we've done what we did. And we can choose to walk out from this point on, but whatever we did in the past, we did. And we may be forgiven, but we know what we did. Somebody said, well, the Bible says that God takes your sins and throw it in the sea of forgiveness. Yes, he does. The sea of, un- of forgetfulness. Meaning he doesn't hold that against you anymore. But he didn't say he will, wa- he will wash your brain so you don't remember what you did. You still know what you did. You know exactly what you did. And some of you really know because it's part of your testimony. So you retell it over and over again. Thank you, Lord. Father, just pray that you allow us to be a community that pursues you early and often. That we would be a community that has faith to train our children up in the way they should go. So when they come to maturity, they will stay in that road of how we were training them. They will not depart from it. Help our young people to say, yes, we know the pressures they're under in this world. Help them to see past the temptations of the evil one who wants to destroy them and accept the rebuke that comes from you, that they may become vessels, instruments of righteousness for the kingdom of God. Hashem Yeshua. Amen. It's a bad world out there. So take solace in the word on Solace Radio.